Okay, our scripture uh, can be found in the bulletin. This is our first uh, sermon of Advent, A Light Has Dawned. And it's all about the light that shines in the darkness. This is John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. Well, we've turned the corner toward Christmas. Uh, Thanksgiving is over. And uh, many of us are turning our minds toward what to get to those special people who we love. And uh, I want to suggest to you what I believe is the best Christmas gift of 2023. I even brought it. It is the Philips Smart Sleep Sunrise Simulation Alarm Clock. Oh, yeah. It's good. Let me tell you what. You know, the concept is that the way that our bodies are wired to wake up is to the sun, right? Uh, and so this simulates the sun, and you can set it to start glowing slowly 15, 20, or 30 minutes before, and it kind of wakes up. But enough about me talking about it. I want to demonstrate how it works. So we're going to actually do a demonstration of the Philips sunrise alarm clock. Maestro, lights off. Here we go. Here we go. Look at this. Look at this. It's angelic. Yes. And then after I have it set for 25 minutes, after 25 minutes, birds start chirping. And I know that it is time to wake up. Right. You know, I love this thing because particularly in the winter, you know, it's dark when you wake up and you don't want to get up. Right. It's cold. It's cold in your room. It's cold outside. There's something about darkness that saps us of life. You know, there is fear in darkness. You don't have to teach a child to be afraid of the dark. They simply know it. But in the same way, light is a different story. We gravitate toward the light, right? We love it when the sun is shining because we can see everything that is around us. We love the light because we experience the warmth of the radiant heat that comes from the sun and warms our bodies. There's nothing more glorious. You know, we live on the, uh, on the edge of the ocean. 
to be there and to see that sun begin to peek out over the water and the glory of the sun as it rises out of the water to begin to light uh, Virginia Beach. Physically, we need light because light is life. Photosynthesis, upon which all life is uh, based upon, is because of the light. Without the light, there would be no life. That's why when God created the earth, the first thing he said was, let there be light. But this passage tells us that the world Jesus came to was a world covered in darkness. Well, how can that be? The sun was shining back then at zero BC, right? See, there's a physical light and there's a spiritual light. And there's a physical darkness and there's a spiritual darkness. There's a darkness that is not in our eyes, but in our souls. And the sun can warm our face and our body, but it cannot warm our hearts. See, as the sun was meant to shine light into our bodies, it was God who was meant to shine light into our souls. To be a human is to have a body united to a soul. So man at his core is spiritual. That's why everything can be going great on the outside, right? We can be fed, we can be happy, we can have all sorts of things, and yet inside we can be miserable. See, it is the darkness in the souls of man that causes all of the problems of this planet. Fear and hate, oppression and greed and selfish and injustice. And the world perpetually asks the question, who will deliver us? And we look to education and politics and medicine. But none can help the problem of the human heart because the problem is ultimately spiritual. What we see in this passage, as these words describe Jesus' coming, that a light came into the darkness. That at a specific point in human history 2,000 years ago, God put skin on and entered into human existence as a child. Like this lamp, a light shone in the darkness. And he's shown to bring light, the life of God, near to us, that we would no longer have to live in darkness. The message of this passage and of this sermon is simply this, that Jesus Christ came to bring light into the darkness of the human heart. And we must choose to embrace and receive Jesus as the light of our world. I want to talk about how Jesus brings light to us. And he brings light to us in three main ways in this passage. Number one, he shows us the face of God. Number two, he shows us the glory of God. And finally, number three, Jesus brings the light to us by bringing us into the family of God. So first, he shows us the face of God. Notice how John's gospel starts. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
See, before there was anything, when the beginning started, there already was God. This is very similar to right uh, to Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God. But John is uh, extending that and saying, in the beginning, there was the word. That along with God, there was this one called the word. This word was with God, and the word also was God. He was God, and yet he was separate from God. From this, we understand that we have one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons mean they each have their own personality, for that's what it means to be a person. And we see that God, by his very nature, is relational. And that's why we are relational, because we were made in the image of God. And so this one called the word, this second person, is Jesus Christ. But before Jesus was given the name Jesus at his birth, he went by two other names. And those names are son and word. Now these two concepts, son and word, are a lot more similar than you would think. Because the son and the word both reveal the father. Many have looked at my children, my sons, in particular, my first son, Mark, and said, you are the spitting image of your father. And it's very interesting when I watch my sons and I see their mannerisms, how they walk like me, how they talk like me, how they express me. But they don't express me exactly, do they? Because they are the offspring of my wife and myself, our DNA being combined. But what if my son only had my DNA? They would be a replica, a representation of me. They would, of course, have their own soul, their own personhood. But when you looked at them, you would see the image of me. And so it is with Jesus Christ, the only begotten son, eternal. The eternally begotten offspring who reveals the father. Jesus is son, but we also see that he is word. What is a word but that which outwardly expresses what we inwardly think? If I wanted to get to know you and I had never met you before, we would sit down at a table across from one another or at a dinner party. But let's say we just stared at each other for 20 minutes and didn't say anything. Well, it would be very hard to get to know one another, right? It's when we begin to speak that we hear each other's hearts and our thoughts and our feelings and our perspectives and get to know one another. Jesus is the word that expresses the character of the Father and also manifests the Father's will. See, in the ancient Near East, the role of the Son was to do the will of the Father. What the Father desired, the Son would execute. And so if the Father wanted to purchase a lamb, it would be the Son that would go out and would fulfill the wish of the Father in the actual purchasing. And so it is with the word 
of God. Remember when God said, let there be light. He spoke and the son, the word, as directed, created. John 1.3 here says that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. See, as son and word, Jesus is the mediator between God and creation. And the son is the one that expresses the father's character and will. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way, that the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. There's an interesting scene in John 14 when Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the father. And it is enough for us. And Jesus says to him almost incredulously, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So you see, Jesus is the Word and the Son and also the light. As the Word allows us to understand, the light allows us to see. It is Jesus that came to reveal to us the word, excuse me, the the father. John 1, 9 puts it this way, that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And as verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father. God the Son literally put on a face. The Son of God became a human. You know, if Jesus entered the world in all of his glory, he would blind us. But he entered the world kind of like my alarm clock in the morning. A small light that continues to grow brighter and brighter. He accommodated himself to us. He created a way that we could know the Father without fear. Jesus called his disciples friends. I love 2 Corinthians 4, 6 that sums it up this way. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I was at a dinner party uh, last night. It was actually a, uh, a, a book party for Vicki Manning, who has just written a book that I am very excited to read. And dinner parties are very interesting things, right? Some of us are very gregarious people. We can't wait to meet everyone in the room and hear their story. Other of us are a little more reserved. And sometimes we're excited to be there and other times we kind of hold back. I'm very, very comfortable speaking to large groups of people, but I'm actually somewhat of a shy fellow. I know it's a little bit surprising. You know, when you want to meet someone at a dinner party, when you want to talk to them, you go forward toward them, right? You go toward them. You communicate your interest in knowing them. Tell me your name. Here's my name. You ask questions. You engage. You stare them in the eyes. You 
communicate in so many different ways. I want to know more about you. But when you don't want to get to know someone at a dinner party, you don't ask. You don't volunteer information. You sort of become a wallflower, right? You step back. You avoid eye contact. You communicate in every single way. I am not interested in initiating in conversation with you. But you see, as we look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we see what God is saying to you and me. Through this unbelievable distance that God bridged in Jesus Christ, becoming a weak and helpless baby, putting skin on, he communicated to you and me, I want to get to know you. I want you to know me, what I'm like and what I think and what I feel. Jesus communicates to us, I want to get near you. And I want to show you my father. See, Jesus Christ wants to know you and be known by you. How much further could God go in his efforts to get to know us? But the question before us is this, do you want to get to know him? I mean, I guess I would have if I would have been back then, but he's gone now, right? He's physically gone. But we serve a risen Christ, one who is alive, one who continues to be a human, both God and man. And Jesus continues to reveal himself and seek to reveal himself through the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues to desire to bring light into the darkness of the human heart. And we must choose to embrace and receive Jesus as the light of our world. You see, Jesus not only came to bring us the face of God and show us the face of God, but he also, my second point, came to show us the glory of God. The Bible is the story of God revealing himself to man. And there are places in the Old Testament where God reveals himself, but he does it quite differently than Jesus, doesn't he? If you look at the common denominator of the times when God reveals himself in the Old Testament, you see two things, fear and caution. Remember when Moses takes the Israelites out of Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai, and God wants to meet uh, with the Israelites. And this fire descends on the mountain. But God gives instructions to Moses. He says, you shall set limits all the way around the mountain. Make sure to tell people not to go up on the mountain or even touch the edge of it, because anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. And as the people, it says in Exodus 20, 18, as they saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to God for us. Do not let God speak to us because we will surely die. They were so in fear and in awe of this great God. 
When the Israelites finally come into Canaan land and God gives them directions where he says that I will dwell with you, I will put my presence with you. But he does it in a way to protect them. He says, you shall build a temple. And he gives down to the most minute detail exactly how this building is supposed to be created. And in this building, there is this place called the Holy of Holies. It's kind of like the same way if you were handling radioactive material, right? You build a specific facility that has controls in it so that it can't break out because it's going to kill everyone. And so he creates this room within a room called the Holy of Holies. And there's only one person from a specific genetic line called the chief priest who's able to go in once a week and never without sacrifice to meet with God. Moses, the one who was closest to God in the Old Testament, said to God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. Moses is saying to God, I want to know who you really are. And God says, I will do this. I will hide you in the cleft of a rock and I will pass by and I'll put my hand over you. And you can see my back, but you cannot see my face because if you do, you will die. Why do we fear God? Why do they fear God in the Old Testament? It's because light destroys darkness. Doesn't it, right? You have a dark room and you crack the door and the light comes in. And what happens to the darkness? It's annihilated. And there's darkness in the heart of man. But in the New Testament, in this gospel, we see that God reveals himself differently. Not in smoke, not in fire, not in an inner room sequestered in a temple. He reveals himself to us as a baby. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, a baby is about as helpless and vulnerable as you can get on this planet. This one, the son, the word, that made and maintains 200 billion trillion stars was dressed in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And why? Why did he do it this way? You see, my friends, flesh is frail. Flesh is weak. Flesh can die. Jesus came not only to get close to us. The light came to get close to our darkness, to take it to himself and destroy it. Isaiah 53, 4 says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus came to take on the darkness by dying for it and to replace the darkness with light. 
It's interesting in verse 14, it says this, this word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Now, when you see the glory of something, we think of its power and its majesty, right? We talk, when you see a sunset setting and you say it's glorious and beautiful, when you look at the Grand Canyon, when you see a rocket ship lifting off, or even someone like the King of England being crowned in all of his majesty, we see glory. So what is so glorious about a little wrinkled baby covered in amniotic fluid? We need to understand what glory is. When When Moses in Exodus 13 said, show me your glory, God responded by saying, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name. And as God passed by, he spoke of himself saying, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, the glory, the way God proclaimed his glory was not by showing what he could do, but by showing who he is. Jesus Christ, incarnated, is the fullest revelation of the glory of God. Because in the babe, we see the fullness of God's character. We see that God is love and compassion and sacrifice and graciousness. That God is fiercely loyal. And that there is no length to which he won't go to rescue and redeem those he loves. Even to death. In the Old Testament, we see the power of God. But in the New Testament, we see the grace of God. I don't know if you're familiar with a term. It's a psychological term. It's called the bystander effect. And the bystander effect is this, that individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim in the presence of other people. And this actually stemmed from something that happened in 1964, and it was the murder of a woman named Kitty Genovese. She was 28. She was a bartender in New York City. She came home at 2.15 a.m. after her shift, and a man attacked her and stabbed her. And she screamed out, oh my God, he stabbed me, help me. And several neighbors heard her cry, but only a few recognized what was going on. But one of them, one of the neighbors shouted at the attacker, let the girl alone. And this attacker, his name was Mosley, ran away. And Genevieve slowly made her way toward the rear entrance of the building, seriously injured and out of the view of of any witnesses. The New York Times later erroneously published that 38 witnesses saw or heard her, yet none of them called the police or did anything, which is not true. Some of them did call. But the simple fact remains that none came down. We know this because Mosley left 
and entered his car and drove away and returned 10 minutes later and systematically searched for Genevieve, who was barely conscious, lying in the back of the building where she could not get in because of a locked door, where he proceeded to rape and kill her. Many heard, but none came down. Either because of that mindset of this bystander effect of I don't want to get involved, or there's too much danger, something could happen to me. But you see, my friends, Jesus came down. He entered into our darkness to help us to protect us, to ransom us at the very cost of his life. I don't know if you have ever been or are right now overcome by the darkness in your own life. The darkness of your sin. The darkness of others' sin that has been foisted upon you. And you feel alone. And that no one cares. But you see, my friends, Jesus came down. He came down that he might carry our grief and our sorrow. And bring light into the darkest place. And he wants to enter into your heart. And bring the light of forgiveness and understanding. See, many of us say that there's no way that Jesus can understand what's going on in me, that Jesus doesn't get us. You see, Jesus, my friends have betrayed and abandoned me. But Jesus says, I know what that's like. It happened to me. But Jesus, my family doesn't understand me. Jesus says, I know what that's like. But I've been unfairly treated and misunderstood, and put out to dry. I know what that means. But Jesus, I have physical trauma, and I suffer in my body. I know what that means. Jesus can identify with us in every single way, because he came down. So let him in. Say to Jesus Christ, bring your glory into my sin, into my betrayal, into my loss, into my pain, and give me light, the light of your love. Because Jesus came to bring light into the darkness of the human heart, we must choose to face and receive Jesus as the light of our world. Finally, Jesus brings us into the family of God. So interesting, this light came into the world. Verse 10, and he was in the world. And even though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. It shows that you can be looking at Jesus even in the face and miss him. John 3.19 puts it this way, that this is the verdict, that light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. To some people, Jesus is a threat. 
that this light is painful. Around the world, in poorer countries, the way you disinfect things is through light. Right? They get water, and what they actually do before they ever drink it is they put it out in the sun because the sun disinfects. It kills evil. And some reject. But it goes on in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, or do receive him now, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of blood or of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. See, we have before us a choice to embrace or reject the light. Jesus came so that those who believe in him would not only be uh, 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 receive the light, but be transformed into a new identity to become children of God. And that's not just a new title that we would get, but actually to become a new creation, to be spiritually reborn. What does it mean to become a child of God? Well, who is the archetype child of God? It's Jesus Christ. It means to receive the same kind of DNA as Jesus Christ, to be transformed into the family likeness as a creature, not as creator, but as a son of God. Jesus became like us so that we might become like him. So that we could say, I no longer belong to the darkness anymore. I belong to the light. The deepest longing of the human heart is to belong. To be accepted. To matter to someone. And our earthly family and our community goes a long way, but it's not enough. Because we were designed and made to be part of the family of God. And Jesus Christ has come into the world as our elder brother to bring us prodigal sons, as Ken spoke about, and daughters back home to the Father. You know, all of us are instinctively protective of children, whether they're yours or not, right? When you see a child being mistreated by someone, instantly your hackles go up. But when it's your child who is being threatened, it moves to a whole nother level, doesn't it? DEFCON 1. And why is that? It's because we have great love for them, because they are ours. Parents have a fierce love for their children. There's nothing they wouldn't do for them. I would step in front of a speeding bus every single time for my child. It's in me. And you see that God has a fierce love for his children. That he stepped in front of a bus. That he came down to find you and bring you home. And bring you back into the family. So that darkness and isolation and aloneness and ostracism would not be your destiny. But rather the glory of our Heavenly Father. And so we must respond on this first Sunday of Advent. 
to either reject and say, I love the darkness. I don't want your light, God. I'm happy where I am. Or to embrace. To say to Jesus, I want to go home. To say to the Father, I want you to be my Father. Jesus can take the darkness of my sin and my rebellion and my rejection. And he can swallow it whole. And it comes with embracing him as Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ came to bring light into the darkness of the human heart. And we must choose to embrace and receive Jesus as the light of our world. By God's grace, during this Christmas season, let us do so. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you demonstrate to us your fierce love for us. For you sent the light of the world here on planet Earth, that we might see that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, that we might experience the fierceness of your love and come into your embrace. Oh, Jesus, let us honor and recognize that you have come to bring us home. And let us with both arms embrace the salvation that you have provided for us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.